This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, July 23rd, 2022. We are coming at you live from various secret locations, literally spread across the surface of the globe. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. Just a... Uh... The joys of home ownership in the heat of summer. It's been a great week, honestly. Uh, mostly life stuff, though in my hobby time, I continue to explore the rules of advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, I regret to... I yeah. say it's all good in the hood. I don't know why I thought that. I just That's obviously something you would never say, but... I was just waiting. I know it is nothing. I, I would I don't think I would ever say that. Though now that you've put the planted the seed, I'm gonna have to say it sometime today. I'm gonna take my medicine and let you talk because you absolutely would not stop before the store the, before the show began. Apparently we were like late or something. We we yeah, you know, we needed to be on time. Why don't you why don't you take a tall sip of water out of your tall glass? Uh, and uh, I'll just relate my my gaming news. I've uh, c continued to explore the rules of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, regrettably, I haven't experimented through play yet. That's uh, on the to-do list. I think we're going to start up this week or the next. Um, uh, so that's what's going on in gaming news, I, including um, getting into a disagreement on Twitter with uh, the inimitable Jeffro Johnson, which uh, the, it's it's not really worth talking about other than, uh, you know, I understand what everybody, uh, everybody who actually doesn't like Jeffro uh, feels like when Jeffro is Jeffro, the iconoclast. And you just have to, you just have to just wash your hands and walk away. Um, but uh, this is great. I love this stuff. The more I read the books, the more I the more I learn, the more I think about how I, how the game is going to go, uh, the more I'm excited to do it. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in my soapbox here for a second. That's something that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in my. You're gonna what? Uh oh, I think Daddy Warpig's broken. But no, I'm here. Um, I I just wanted to say that it's something that the game, as written, does that previous games didn't for me. I think uh, the introduction, my introduction to the hobby was AD and D Second Edition and all those amazing boxed settings. Uh, and it's that uh, you know it was good for business, but they sold a lot of books that people read and didn't play, and. Uh, all these cool books and settings and illustrations and things sparked the imagination on stuff maybe you'd want to see or read about, but uh, how do you turn that into a game? And uh, if you find the right game book, I think AD&D First Edition Dungeon Master's Guide is the best example of a book that you read through and it makes you want to play, not just, oh, I want to live in this world or I want to, you know, I want to write a isekai story about a 
Israeli soldier who gets transported to this world uh, makes you want to actually play a physical game, uh, which is ostensibly what those books were for originally. But uh, role-playing games have uh, drastically changed. They've, they've been different for a long, long time now. Yeah, now that reminds me. Uh, somebody posted this week uh, a list of the varying sales of different AD&D campaign worlds. Um, all of them. All of them from 1st edition and 2nd edition. Um, and is shocking uh, how little a lot of the favorite Golden Child uh, second edition settings sold. Um, like, which would you think was more popular, Spelljammer or Planescape? Uh, I'm biased. Planescape by a million. Spelljammer beat Planescape. And in total sales over or its lifetime? Total sales. Wow. Is number six in AD&D settings. Greyhawk Forgotten Realms beats it. You know, the really, really big standard settings beats it. Dark Sun comes in number five. Um, but wow. then Spelljammer sneaks in. Spelljammer comes in right behind like uh ravenloft is number four um but your birthright your uh what are all those other also ran mistara miss oh yeah mistara was dead last except for red steel which came in as part of the mistara setting when they took it from becmi um those two are dead last, but like, you know, what were some of the ones besides Planescape? There were Birthright, you know, just above Mistara, almost dead last. Um, yeah, they, they were all, you know, just dragging towards the end. And, and Spelljammer was more popular than all these other big name settings that are so popular. And my boy Dark Sun was just kicking tail. I mean, for a, you would not expect the anti-Forgotten Realms to be doing so respectable. And it was not doing anywhere near Forgotten Realms numbers, but it was pretty close to, to Ravenloft. Um, so yeah, it uh, it was doing respectable numbers up there. I'm like, yeah, Dark Sun. Yeah, baby. And this was a setting that had to redo its psionics four times because second edition psionics sucked so hard uh, you got to help me out with this because you and one other friend i had a long time ago absolutely loved dark sun i don't get it what made it so appealing well it's kind of like john carter of mars crossed with mad max crossed D&D. um it takes all the usual D&D stuff and then changes it into this harsh post-apocalyptic survival uh, setting. So everything is different. Um, and you're just, you get to play a bunch of D&D stuff in a completely different way. So 
you know, they had taken all of that post-apocalyptic stuff that was in AD&D, first edition. I hate having to specify that. I always say AD&D online, and people are like, oh, wait, you mean first edition? I'm like, no, I mean AD&D. If I had meant second edition, I would have said second edition. <laughs> um, but AD&D is a post-apocalyptic game, right? Well, this is just kind of taking the post-apocalyptic of AD&D and making it even harsher to where it's not just that mages have to search for spells. Now mages are hunted. Now mages are, you know, they actually harm the world when they cast spells. And everyone has, you know, it's a dying earth setting, right? It's dying earth in uh, AD&D only without the semi-technological stuff. So it takes a lot of different things that are um, pulp-oriented, that the pulp rev focused on, and brings them back in a bigger way. It's kind of that Martian desert feel from Barsoom with that dying earth. The sun is literally going dark. And things are harsh outside the cities. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's cool like that. It's not your mainstay D&D campaign, but it's a great change of pace campaign. Got a lot of great uh, creatures. Everybody is a wild talent psionic. Um, and you can do a lot of really great stuff in the campaign world. So, yeah. Um, it's well worthwhile. I would like to see it done up as an actual AD&D game, not a second edition game. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to, and I've said this before in, uh, to, uh, the bros, um, in the bros, sorry, I'd, I'd like to see it done up as that and see how it goes. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would love to see that stuff because it's because of what I just said before, because it's written as a setting that you want to buy, that you want to see, that you want to read, you want to look at the cool art. And Dark Sun did have some really distinctive art. But what would that look like if, if you ser took it seriously as a game and, and wanted to make sure that, you know, in the same way that the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide was a way to codify the rules for uh, convention or tournament play, right? So, hey, let's have everybody in the world playing the same game, right? Uh, let's do that with Dark Sun. Like, let's make this game playable out of the box with the rules that really let you start and grow organically. You've got everything you need to play Dark Sun in, in AD&D already. I mean, you've got rules for desert. You've got rules for, you know, survival. You've got rules for monsters and experience points and treasure and whatever you just need to all it is is it's a campaign setting with unique monster encounter cables you need to set up the monsters for um for ad and d not second edition you'd need to uh you need to make the couple of variant classes like there's a new fighter subclass called gladiator 
um, you have a new uh, new effects for a wizard called preserver or defiler. And you have to work out how that works. And then you'd have to decide how having everyone be a psionic would work. Because psionics is better integrated into first edition than it ever was in second edition. I mean, this literally psionic attack modes are listed at every single monster in the monster menu. Oh, that's it. That's the chart. I don't know why it took me so long to find the, the sales chart, but if you're watching on YouTube, you can see, yeah, um, the big the big settings like Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms outsold the rest by orders of magnitude. Orient uh, look how high that is. Yeah. It beat Dragonlance in sales. Um, That's amazing. And it's, it's funny that... Uh, Mistara is not even on the list, and Red Steel and Birthright are both Mistara subsettings. No, Birthright is its own world. Is it? Yeah, it's its own campaign world. Mm. Um, but I mean, Mastika, or, or excuse me, not Mastika, Alcadeen, the Land of Fate, which is a, a Forgotten Realms subsetting, beat Planescape. Um, if it weren't for the giant sales of Darkson, I, I would have su suspected fatigue, right? Everybody had sort of picked their favorite setting from the mid-80s. And, and when the 90s came along and they're like, wow, we can just churn out a bunch of different books. Let's make money off of this. Uh, people weren't buying it much anymore. Um, yeah, Mastika was also a sub-setting for uh, Forgotten Realms. But yeah, I mean, Greyhawk, Oriental Adventures, Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms. Those are the kings. Those dominated everything. But Ravenloft, doing strong, about half the sales of Dragonlance. Uh, that's your goths. And then Dark Sun, right behind Ravenloft. Not that far off. I'm just impressed that it was that far off looking at how, you know, Apparently, Planescape had really loud fans, but it didn't sell very well. Uh, Spelljammer outsold Linkmar. It outsold uh, Alcadine, Planescape, uh, Mistara, which is what it's listed as Carmikos here, uh, Mastika, Red Steel, and Birthright. All but outsold by Spelljammer. People remember Spelljammer as this failed thing. But uh, no, it's it's uh, what? Yeah, if you, if you release if you release the Forgotten Realms, and and this is in 1999, right? But if by the time you know 1990 came along and Spelljammer was doing the fraction of the business that Forgotten Realms did, then yeah, you'd have considered it a failure too. Everything else was even. Even worse. See, I'm not saying Darkson was the super blockbuster that Forgotten Realms was, 
but it's uh, it's impressive to me that it, it scored that high. Um, I mean, Dark Sun is like uh, not far behind Ravenloft, and it is just a little bit less than half of Dragonlance. That's pretty impressive. Selling just a bit less of the campaign setting for Dragonlance. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I posted this last week, did a little bit of analysis on it. Um, mostly because, you know, I was just impressed for Dark Sun. Spelljammer, uh, I already figured out, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, what Spelljammer actually needed was not to be this wishy-washy setting that can be inserted in any campaign ever. What it needed to be was its own solid setting. Um, it needed a core. And people keep on saying Rock or Brawl. And they're like, yeah, but the Rock or Brawl was this kind of appendix afterthought that could be stuck in any other setting. They were wishy-washy. They didn't establish it. What it needed was something like what Planescape had, which was a clear, awesome central setting in its own system that was clearly, this is Spelljammer, that was everything that was perfect about Spelljammer. And everything you wanted to do in Spelljammer was focused in that particular setting. And then you could visit all these other worlds as a side effect of Spelljammer. You didn't want to have your primary world be, here's the Forgotten Realms and this tiny little asteroid. You want it to be, here's this awesome system with this main city that everybody knows is spell jamming central that all these other empires come to, that the Elithids come to to trade, that the Elven Space Empire comes to to trade, that, you know, the Red Wizards of they have an embassy on and they come to the trade because they are into spell jamming and that's your core and that's really really cool and we'll turn it up to 11 and it'll be you know where you can have red wizards of they walking around and trading with uh some order of knights from Greyhawk and and the empire from oriental adventures and you know whatever where everything crosses over here and that's the selling point of Spelljammers. Everything meets here in this one crystal sphere. And then if you want, you, you can have pirates in that one crystal sphere. And you have offshoots and other colonies. And, oh, you don't go to this planet because this planet is the dark planet. It never sees the sun because it's always in shadow because it's a moon around this, this giant. And uh, all the Umberholtz live here. and Or not the Umberholtz, the... Uh, those spider eel creepy things I always love. Uh, they all live here, and, and they are pirates, and they come out and they capture people and eat them alive, and, and everybody hates them, but they're so powerful and so nasty. And, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, in cahoots with the Illithid, but the Illithid pretend to be civilized traitors. And you can go out, and uh, the beholders have their fleet, that comes into the system and um, everything crosses over in this one scene. That's what you needed to make Spelljammer a compelling setting. It is a, a setting 
force spell hammer, and then uh, after you've done all the fighting pirates and finding treasure and finding uh, magical items and all of that, and um, then you can go into other crystal spheres that all have their own deal, and they're great, but then you can also go back to um, Forgotten Realms if you want, or Greyhawk if you want, or or uh, the Dragonlance world if you want. That would have made Spelljammer awesome. That would have made it a compelling setting instead of just this. If, if they had balls, really, is what it was. If they had the balls to just roll the dice and go in, go hard with the setting instead of making it just, oh, well, you know, if what you really like is, is Greyhawk, you can play Greyhawk, but you can also play our setting, maybe. You know, if you like that sort of thing, you can like that sort of thing. It's okay. We made an okay kind of setting, maybe. It's all maybe you're okay, all right. It's, it's disgusting. If you're going to do something, have the balls to do something. I love Rick Moranis, but don't hire him to do your uh, <laughs> <at> marketing. <laughs> But yeah, I that was mean, a good. Just, that was a great impression, by the way. I don't know if that was deliberate. It's uh, you should just uh, you know, it's amazing they did that well with just that playing it so soft. All right, that's a, well, that's we're, we're gonna. Simon Hogwood wants in. When are we gonna? When are we gonna play DW? <laughs> I am way too busy to run stuff right now. <laughs> I'm way too busy to run the stuff I'm not running right now. Yeah, never mind when the the Brosar guys twist your arm to get in, but uh, but hey, that was fun. I love talking about D and D. What about your week? Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, we almost got to kill the werewolf we were almost killing before, but we didn't get to kill him. All right. That was with the Bro SR campaign. Oh, I see. Yeah, that we're wearing there since before I started playing, and that's been like, I think March. So, <laughs> well, I hope our guest didn't fall asleep. Uh, I I forgot that he doesn't play D and D, so we we totally lost him there for a few minutes. No, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, D-Dub, do you care to take care of the introduction for today? Hey, Eka, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me again. It's been, I don't know, a while, like a year or something like that, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, something like that. I, I've been four hours of sleep, so I'm really sleep deprived, so uh, I could not about <laughs> time right now. Yeah. That, that, was, that was cruel of me to ask you to use any uh, mental faculties there, DW, knowing that you were on four hours of sleep. Yeah, man. Welcome yeah. welcome back to the show. We love having Yakov on. Uh, for those of you who are new here, um, Yakov is a science fiction author, great guy. Uh, always loves to come on the show to talk about his isekai series and his spacefaring cat series um of books i'm gonna let you plug those specifically yourselves but 
you are here for something new and exciting, and I gotta go find the website again uh, for this because I shared that. Oh yeah, I can post it. In the, I can post it in the Streamyards chat if it'll be fast. Yeah, I I, I got it. Um, okay. We do have to do this. So tell us, how have you been, and what are you up to? Overall, been okay. Working on this, obviously, because it was took a little bit longer to get this campaign ready to go live, in part because of the animation that I had done for the trailer, which, and if you haven't seen that, you should definitely watch it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, pretty, pretty, doing pretty well overall working on uh, other projects also along with this. And so for now, obviously this next month, I'm going to be, you know, mostly marketing focused as I, uh, push this campaign because it's a lot of fun and I think the second the second set of books in the series is even better than the first set. And yeah, I really just want to keep keep growing this, keep getting it out. I mean, keep getting it in front of new readers because I've been selling them at actually conventions in Israel here. And it's actually sold decently well, even though it's in English only for now. So people seem to be enjoying it, basically. And anybody who likes this kind of genre, like any isekai stuff, will enjoy this, I think, because it keeps all of the stuff that's fun about the genre while doing something a little bit different, keeping like a more interesting main character and just some things that I guess the way I approach it is a little bit more interesting than I guess the box standard you tend to get these days in terms of, uh, various isekai stuff. So, yeah. So what we need you to do starting out is to sell the series. Yes. <laughs> Give, give us I mean, the like short, concise selling of this series. Yeah, basically, it's um, an IDF soldier on his way to base one day, gets pulled through a portal into a fantasy world, and then proceeds to meddle with things. Um, to he basically he finds problems that he decides need to be fixed, and he goes about fixing them and dealing with whatever gets in his way. Essentially, so the first five books. I guess in some ways are more of the, not necessarily the introduction, but the first five books, you know, kind of ramping up to where we're getting now, where the conflicts that kind of set off in, I don't know, volumes two or three, like really become much more intense now in terms of types of enemies they have to face and different challenges they put in front of the main characters. Plus we get to explore some more of the background of a few of the supporting characters, which you didn't get to see a whole lot of in the first five volumes. And, uh, yeah, that was a trailer. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you guys watching the YouTube, you get a treat. If you are listening offline, uh, go ahead and check out this Kickstarter project just for the trailer, because you have, you have proper anime intro to your Isekai series and it's fantastic. Yeah. And there's, and there's the music there too. I know you had it on mute for this cause it's stream, but there is music back there also. So. Yeah, the music's pretty cool. I I, I do keep yeah. it muted for the uh, uh, yeah, because because people are here to listen to you, not uh, yes, not watch not a trailer. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep playing the trailer again when I talk. <laughs> this is this is badass yeah, proper yeah, came, anime action. Yeah, it, it came out really really nice. I'm really happy with how it came out. And there's more coming a little bit. My artist is working on a couple more scenes. We didn't have time to finish for the launch that I'm going to add to an extended trailer 
once they're done and I'll you know be using it for promotion obviously well beyond the Kickstarter for obvious reasons so. yeah oh so I've, for me um I know that you've been working on this series you know this has a la been a labor of love for years uh and your artist here has done all these great covers that that uh, you also put in yeah. the, in the trailer here um but turning that into an animation um tell us all about that because that's that's the next step and i'm so happy to see you take that step and i want to know all about it uh, about the process or just you know everything like like why did you why did you choose to do a, a, an animation well, uh, on top yeah. of these these glory these gorgeous still covers well obviously animation is more appealing to a lot of people it's going to get more eyes you know to watch if I, if I set up like an ad for this series people will more like be more likely to not skip it if they see you know animation at the start because it looks more like a serious thing i guess than just you know still images and and also i found that i really i found out like i don't remember how long after i started working with my artist that he also does, he also does animation he's the same guy who did all the art for the series does this too so i realized he does animation and i'm like okay at some point i'm going to have to have you do animation for me because his animation that i saw before this was really really good and that was from a couple of years ago so it's even better than what stuff i've seen from him before so um so it was just obvious it's a matter of when and i decided you know for this second campaign it was not a, not a bad time to try it out and i mean that's part of what took so long to get it ready because it did take a little bit longer than because i haven't ever commissioned animation before and it does take time both you know on my part and his part to get everything or to get everything done and the rendering you know could take forever for the scenes even though it's not so long you know, relatively speaking but uh it was very funny I mean, got to get to see all the little updates as he goes along i posted a lot of those to my patreon so anybody who supports me on there gets to see all these updates early. And like I said, there are a few more scenes that are being worked on still that will be added to like a, a slightly longer trailer uh, once they're ready, hopefully the next couple of weeks. This is cool stuff. I love your I love your artist's eye and style and it's a uh, uh, chat loves it video. Uh, video Mirador wants to know about the artist process a little bit he says the animation is really beautiful i wonder if it was hand drawn and then rendered into a program yeah i don't know i mean i think i think i think he draws on some kind of like you know art pad or something i don't think it's you know physically drawn by hand but i mean obviously you're drawing it you know with your hand on some kind of device i think i mean i don't know his full process but um that's common these days these uh yeah um many digital artists I, I even want to say most these days they, they just they use a tablet and draw directly into you know their yeah program of choice but yeah he really goes above and beyond like, i mean not just on this i'm just you know putting thought into different aspects of the art whether it's you know suggesting the um, the layout for the covers or when he does internal illustrations for some of them that we have you know panels on them and not just a single image so he has a really good you know eye for you know making those scenes work and uh, that's part of actually part of why one of my stretch goals for this campaign is getting him a bonus because he really deserves a bonus because he's been really, really good to work with for the last two years now, almost a year and a half, you know, actually coming up on two years, I think in end of the summer, it would be two years or so. So uh, that's, I mean, obviously the main goal is the priority, but I really hope I get to the goal where I get to give him a nice bonus because he's a you know, freelance artist and I've been doing freelance work myself lately and like proofreading mostly. And it's a grind and, you know, 
it's not the most stable income stream. So a nice bonus will be a really big help, you know, for, for him or for even for any artist who does freelance work. So I really hope that we could get there this time and uh, get, you know, get up to that stretch goal to really give that, give him something, you know, something special. That's great. I, I hope he gets it. Cause it's, it's really heartwarming to hear about uh, the good relationships you're building, the professional relationships in uh, building this, uh, this series. Um, it's not just a, it's not just a product, you know, uh, I can tell that it's really important to you and the, and you like getting a good quality of work here. And so it's, it's just, it's encouraging to me is what it is. Yeah. But I find that when I find that artists is good to work with, I tend to just try and stick with them as long as possible, you know, for whatever project, you know, it fits their style. Like in my first series, you know, I used the same artist all the way through cause he was great. And I needed a different style for this. And I found somebody who I want to stick with for anything I do in this style ever. I hope to use the same person. I, we're actually working on a, on a manga project also. That'll be hopefully getting getting really into motion early next year. And I already have the character designs for that from him. And he put, he put more thought into the flight suits of the characters than I put into it. <laughs> so that's going to be a very fun project too once I get there. But that's a few steps ahead right now. Right now, it's flying into another world, and the that anime girls flying starfighters manga will be next year's project. Oh boy, we have to catch up with you, Ven, when you yeah. uh, start teasing more of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm already scripting it, so it's moving along. Okay, so let's say let's say I'm yeah. interested in Light Unto Another World, the next set of volumes. Um. Now I forget where we left off in the first five volumes. How large is each volume, and and do you have one overarching story, or are these are these just five the five new episodes or adventures? Uh, no, it's all there's one overarching story. Though I do try and keep each book, you know, at least most of the time semi self contained. Where like each book will have, you know, like a satisfying you know climax at the end, like a you know a smaller conflict within the larger story that um that you know is part of that but it still has a conclusion in every book i also like i try and give different supporting characters more of a focus in the different volumes because there's seven there's six supporting characters beyond my main character and there's not you know you can't shove everything into one book especially because these books are only fifty thousand words long so it's like 200 pages so they're all pretty bite-sized and very you know very easy to read you know in an afternoon essentially so I try to give, you know, each book, you know, one or two of them get more, you know, prominence than other ones. Like you can, you could usually tell a minor spoiler that you could, you look at the cover of a given volume, whichever side characters are on the cover usually get more focus in that book. Yeah. So in this, yeah, so in this set of volumes, there are two side characters in particular who didn't get as much focus on them in the first volume is partially because they only um joined the main crew in volume three out of those first five so now they get a bunch they get much more focused time in this series in this uh, set of uh, volumes so especially um the one we're looking at right now um Setzel, who just you know, she's one who transforms into the the monster over here so she she actually kind of gets two volumes uh, volumes nine and ten she gets a lot of focus in those and uh those are actually really was really fun to write uh, well, you know your audience if you're uh, adding extra volumes for the Monster Girl. But what well, what made him fun to write? I mean, just the 
I mean, just the type of story is like, it's because I mean, I grew up reading a lot of epic fantasy where this is, this is more like, I guess, closer to adventure fantasy, even though there are, you know, there is one overarching story and there is, you know, bigger stuff going on. Like I do try and keep it, you know, more grounded where it's, you know, the single first person viewpoint. I'm not, you know, getting branching out into like a dozen, um, you know, different third person viewpoints, which I did for my Galaxy Tendon series, which worked for that. But for this, I really needed a much closer focus through, you know, one person, one character's lens and just, you know, just being able to just have the world kind of unfold as I write. Because I'm, I'm not like, I'm not, I guess, world building more than I need to in advance. Like I build enough that I know where I have to go, but like I do give myself some freedom to kind of figure out beyond the basic, you know, bullet points, what needs to happen in a volume, how to tie it all together and how it's all just, it all seems to come together on its own, which is like, it's a joy when I'm outlining a book and it's like, Oh, okay. I know how this all falls into place. And I figured it out right now while I'm sitting here. So Cyrus makes it fun. And obviously also the character dynamics of the main group, is just really really fun to write and they all just like you seem to you know i guess i guess i've written the series long enough now that all the characters you know are like second nature for writing them and so all their interactions i think you know get even more fun and there are different idiosyncrasies or different you know personality types and that's part also why i have a large you know supporting cast because i just enjoy um you know a very good variety of characters like my galaxy Ascendant series also i had you know there was all aliens and i had i think seven different alien species represented or maybe eight out of all the different characters so here out of the main group of seven only two out of the seven are human and then the rest are not because i'm writing fantasy so why wouldn't i absolutely holy cow i sorry i keep going through this uh this trailer <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm glad you like it because it. I mean, what's I mean? It, the rates is my artist is my artist rates. You know, there are there are pretty good rates as you know animation rates go, but it's still animation. You know, it still costs money, so it wasn't nothing. Like uh, it's still I still had to you know pay something you know real for this because you know for this quality. So uh, th uh, this is outstanding. And uh, do you have interior illustrations as well throughout? The yes, book? I have. I have five uh, guaranteed, and then if we hit stretch goals like we did last time, I'll go up to a maximum of seven per book again. So last time, last time I started from a, a guarantee of four, and then we stretch gold an additional three. This time, partially because I made enough from the first Kickstarter that I could afford to, I was able to guarantee five and then stretch goals for the next two, and then beyond that, my stretch goals include um, character art like solo character art to do like other merchandise with potentially or other, you know, types of stuff. And then I think the next stretch goal after that is the artist bonus. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So if we basically, if we basically the stretch goal for the artist works as long as once we pass $7,000, anything that I raise between seven and $8,000 goes to him up to the full thousand. And that's after the Kickstarter cut. So like, I'll take a little bit of a hit, to give him the exact amount, you know, between those two numbers or up to 8,000 mm -hmm. that we raised because I'm willing to take, you know, a few dollars hit to give him, you know, that full amount basically. And obviously if we go beyond that, the sky's the limit. I mean, I have also a higher stretch goal for, you know, audio book version that I ne never did that before. So it might be short, what we need to try once, although I hear the audience for them is a little bit smaller than it used to be because people aren't commuting to work as much anymore. 
but <laughs> that's true. But, but if I raise the but if I raise the funds, I'll try it once and then you know see how it goes. Also, it's not a part of the Kickstarter, but I'm actually getting the first volume translated into Hebrew now. Oh wow! So yeah, I just actually have to send my artist my my, my, my translator for that. The second payment for that, the I just got like it's halfway done now, and uh, so that's going to be a fun because I mean, I've, I've been selling books at conventions in Israel here twice so far. Hopefully, another one in October, and I've sold you know a couple dozen books over the two conventions and. But on the other hand, there are people who have, you know, stopped by who say they love to read it, but they just don't read English well enough. So I figured, you know, I'll try one volume in Hebrew and see how it sells and then hopefully do the rest of them. But I figured that I am living in a Hebrew speaking country and there is an interest in it. Clearly, you know, I should definitely try it once. And I found through the convention, someone connected me to a person who does translation and that's going pretty well. So far, she said she actually said it's the most fun project she's had translation wise so far. So that's nice to hear. Oh, that's great. Uh, uh, just knowing that there are uh, the, the types of conventions out there where you can sell your book, those types of fans where you can actually connect with the new fans and everything like that. Yeah, the, uh, getting that translation is going to be a huge boon for you. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. Actually, I'm, I'm greatly excited and interested to hear later how that comes out. Um, yeah. Do you have, uh, have you had any challenges or anything getting that translation done or doing the translation? Um, nothing specific in terms of problems yet. Basically, the main challenge for it really is figuring out what to do for certain parts of the story because my character, my main character, Oriel, he speaks Hebrew a couple times in the story, whether he's saying like a blessing or a prayer or something, or if he's casting spells because for the way the magic works, he has to use Hebrew in order to use his magic. So I would need to figure, I need to figure out, a, we need to figure out a way basically to um, make it known to the reader that when he's speaking, you know, those lines in the Hebrew version, that it's, that he's not speaking Hebrew the whole time, essentially. So a way to like differentiate, like whether it's different font or italics or something like that, just to you know make the text noticeably a little bit different than yeah. the generic story text. So that's really been the main challenge, I guess, in terms of just making sure that uh, that that comes across to the reader, so that it's clear, you know, that that's an important element of the story because he's not a native Hebrew speaker, you know, when the story like in, in a general sense, but for those specific important moments, he does use it. And so I needed to, you know, seem a little special, even when the whole book is in Hebrew. And, and I guess, who, yeah. Hebrew runs right to left, like Japanese, right? Yeah. So it's an even more authentic Isekai experience than it would be. I guess. <laughs> Although the weird thing that I think Japanese now is like, it's written left to right, but the ma manga are still, like the page is still right to left. I'm not sure why that happened. But... <laughs> Uh, the right. the real answer the real answer is that uh, originally or traditionally Japanese was, uh, was right not written right to left it's written up, up to down, down. Yeah, yeah it's written up to down but you start at the right hand of the page so you're uh, you're uh, okay, you, so you're yeah. it's just like if you, if you think writing English on a piece of paper just rotate that ninety degrees and that's what writing and reading Japanese is supposed to be like yeah so. Although it is funny because when I hopefully, you know, eventually get my manga out and translate that, you know, if I, if I ever want to translate it into Hebrew or Japanese, it'll be easy because they both go right to left anyway. There you go. 
Uh, that's oh, that's cool actually. And and speaking of Japanese, of course, the Jap because of the Japanese influence in here, I I guess Hebrew doesn't have a uh, a way to indicate foreign words or anything in that alphabet. Not in an obvious it? way. No, but Hebrew. Not an obvious. I way. know the words like borrowed from English are just you know transliterated into Hebrew basically. So we have a lot of a lot of silly sounding words like that. You know, and a lot of like you know sciencey words especially tend to be like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, uh, is, is the the one thing the the Japanese did, which which is clever, um, is is um, I'm sure you know this, but in case anybody didn't know, the, they actually have a separate alphabet yes. for foreign words. It's not it's not precisely an alphabet, but you get them. You get the idea. Like yeah. they just like if it's a foreign word, they just write it different. Yeah, it makes I, it. I wonder if more makes, wonder if more languages couldn't use that. Yeah, what well, makes it more well, it makes it more challenging to learn a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> The alphabet Sorry? for certain words is it phonetic? Yeah, it's uh, each um, uh, Japanese is all phonetic. So all the the they've got their two main character sets that are actually syllables. Each character is a syllable instead of a letter, like uh, English uses. You know the Roman alphabet. Yeah. So uh, and it's the two kana. The the hiragana is for mm -hmm. Japanese, Japanese words, words, and yeah. and katakana is. For foreign, foreign words. words, it's this. It basically, it's the same sounds, just written differently. Yeah, and I, I've been actually doing Japanese on Duolingo over the last couple of months, so I'm, I've encountered a lot of that over the last few months. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll it'll melt your brain. Japanese coming from English, Japanese is actually pretty easy to learn, uh, or easy to get started yeah. learning. But yeah, there's the multiple alphabets are. Uh, uh, yeah, like challenge. Focus, focus on like, I mean, I'm, I'm most trying to just focus on one first, and then you know get, get that into my brain, and then work more on the other. All right, then 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 you'll be trilingual. You'll you'll do English, Hebrew, and uh, yeah, and Japanese. Like I said, I mean, for well, especially for the manga, I mean, translating a comic is a lot easier than translating a book because there's so many fewer words that it just will cost a lot less. Number one. And number two, it's just, you know, generally easier because there's fewer, you know, anything that might be difficult to translate, there's just less of it because there's fewer words again. So it, uh, it just doubly an easier process. So like I, when I do my manga, I do hope to translate it, you know, into Hebrew and into Japanese at some point. I don't know when. I'm going to do it right away probably. But so, uh, I think it'll be interesting. When they write a word like salaryman, which was originally salaryman, which is English, do they write the nipponicized word in the character set intended for English, or do they write it in the character set intended for Japanese? Uh, I don't know. Oh, great! I guess, if, I guess I guess if it's a word that's transliterated, they probably consider it a foreign word. So they probably like, like, like country names, apart from Japan, are all written with uh, katakana. I think so. If it's, a, if, it's just, if it's just a non-Japanese word at all that just transliterated, it's probably using the second character set, I think. But I'm not anywhere near an expert, so I couldn't tell you for sure. Well, John sounds like you. I'm just asking. Uh, I, I actually I don't have the answer to that question for that word specifically. Uh, yeah, if it's a foreign word, it will be written in the katakana. If it, it it's possible that a word's been uh, imported into the language and there might be there might even be a unlikely it's most likely that uh, it would be written in katakana okay so there's your answer 
<laughs> um, stuff a couple of times. What's your plans as far as light unto another world? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think an anime adaptation would be great. Are are you angling towards that for this story, or do you have a, a different story in mind? I mean, I'd love to if you know the the money is there and somebody wants to do it, but. The chat, I mean, getting that done is about as, as as easy as getting a movie made out of your book, I think. I mean, I don't know. It might be a little bit easier, but it's still not very easy. But obviously, I guess having a little bit of animation, you know, as like a, a teaser there, you know, somebody might see it and think it looks good. And then, you know, who knows? But like, or, or if the crowdfund, you know, raises, you know, six figures somehow, like then obviously I could try and get more made and then, you know, see about something. I mean, I'd love to have, for have that to happen at some point or even to make a manga version of Light in Another World one day because I can really expand the story a little bit more in that format because it's easier to switch, you know, perspectives without having to worry about, you know, who's narrating. So that would be an option, but, um, aim high. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like I said, I love for that to happen. I'm going to, you know, try and see who I could find. I know like some of the conventions that are, that happen in Israel actually are co-sponsored by like Japanese Israel cultural exchange or the Japanese embassy. So who knows who comes to the conventions? I don't know. Awesome. It could be somebody who has, you know, a connection somewhere and, you know, see something they like, whether it's this or whether it's my, my manga, once that comes out, because that will, that's probably, that, that will probably be more mass market than this is, although this, it was meant for a wide audience too. It's not meant just for a niche audience, obviously, but that one is probably, you know, more of a mass market product than this is in terms of the main, the main premise, I guess. But either one, I mean, obviously you can see from just, you know, the short trailer that the characters look good in animation. And that's, you know, another reason why I had it done is not just, you know, for promotional reasons or because my artist does it really well is because seeing my characters animated is something most others never get to see. And if I have a chance, you know, I, I took it. Love so, it. And hopefully when I do my manga, I'm also going to do an animated intro for that also when that happens. Although I don't want to ask him to too much, too much animation, you know, too quickly because it does take a lot of work and a lot of time from him. And so he's like, he's like, he's having to take a break from extended animation sequences for a good, you know, six months. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, definitely more will, will come, whether it's from this series or from that one. I mean, again, if, if the funding is there and you know, we could arrange the timing, I'd love to get some more scenes made, you know, for the next Kickstarter, whenever I end up doing that, like the, you know, a new trailer for like the next season, for lack of a better term. Because I plan the series is going to be, you know, at least another ten volumes beyond this this set, so there's plenty more to work with. Oh, that's a great answer, and I think it's gonna. I think your prudence and practicality is going to serve you well in making sure that, you know, you've delivered everything you've promised so far and then some. But do you mind if I put you on the spot? Sure. What if none of that stuff you had? What is your dream? Like, what what do you want light into another world to to be? If you could do, if you could do more, like, are you pleased with the best isekai series you could come out with, or do you or do you envision like a whole manga and anime and and everything like that? Dream big. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that I mean. That would be a really great thing to have. I don't, I don't want to aim, you know, 
I don't want to aim too high and you know get too close to the sun, or I don't want to try to overpromise stuff. But obviously, if the chance arises, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna jump on it. If somebody you know comes to me and says, "Hey, I want to you know collaborate and do something bigger with this because they really like it," whether it's you know locally here in Israel or, or from the states or from Japan, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, any opportunity to grow this because obviously the hardest part of writing anything as an indie author is marketing, getting in front of more people. And like, cause I know there are a lot of people who would love this series who just don't see it because I don't have a huge platform and, you know, I could do word of mouth, you know, but that's, you know, a very, you know, limited way in itself based on, you know, who else knows about it. And then obviously, you know, things like coming onto this show and then having the Kickstarter, you know, visible. So anything that could get in front of more eyes obviously is great. And, I mean, I said, I don't want to overpromise. That's why I'm not, you know, I, I, I didn't want to stretch goal more animation because again, it just does take a while. And I don't want to try and overcome it. I know there are a lot of, there have been a lot of projects on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, whatever that overpromise on what they're going to give backers. And then because of that, the project either gets delayed for a long time or it collapses altogether. And I want, you know, I mean, the main focus here is the books and the books are already written. They're like, you know, mostly edited and I'm, you know, that's, that's not That's not going to be an issue with the art for the internals volume six and seven, the five that I already committed to are done. Volume eight is underway now and volume nine and 10 will come right after that. So, so I wanted to just, you know, get this out, you know, it's on time and everything as promised. And then beyond that, then based on what we raised, then, then I'll see what I could do. Like I said, I do want to also, you know, start doing some Maybe, maybe next time I'll have, you know, some merchandise options again, especially if we get the stretch goal where I could do extra character art because obviously I have the covers, but it's not like solo character art to do like individualized, you know, whether it's, I don't know. I mean, I can't even make them all pay like bookmarks or keychains or shirts with one character on it. So that sort of thing, you, know, you really want individual art. And so that'd be really, really great to be able to do. And cause I think all the characters look great and they would look great on a lot of things. So, so hopefully I, I love it. And, and I, I love the way you're going at it because, um, it's, it's not my imagination that, uh, you're getting a lot of positive response from this animation. Uh, and it's really great to see that you've gone all the way into it. Like put your money where your mouth is, get this stuff out. Um, do a do a proper anime adaptation, even just for a few scenes, and uh, show people like this is what this is what this is about. This is what I'm about. Um, I love to see that sort of. Thanks. I love that love that positive attitude, and uh, it's tough. Like you said, it takes a lot of time to get the art done, and you have to work back and forth with an artist. Uh, but it's it looks to be paying off. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely paying off. Like I said, it's worth, it was definitely worth the investment, you know, to pay for the animation because obviously I'm using it for the crowdfund now. And then beyond this, I could use it for ads, you know, forever if I want to. So, you know, it's like I, I consider you know, the animation essentially like a marketing, you know, spend because that that's the whole point of it is just to get in front of more people to make it more dynamic, I guess, for people who are more interested in that, who will, you know, take maybe take it more seriously if it looks like, you know, there's more more effort put into it than just you know just you know static art and hopefully there's a response to it and that's why i started running a couple ads i think a day or two ago so it's too early to see really results from it so hopefully that starts coming in. i agree um 
What? What else? I lost my last question. Uh, dude, this is amazing. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. I, the you mentioned earlier that the books are written. Like that's yes. one of the things. Like if if you're thinking about this, uh, this isn't just uh, this isn't just something. Oh, you know, help me help me write this book. No, no, no. This stuff's written. Like you've got all the action and adventure ready to go. Uh, the only thing that's going to happen between now and the release date is just finish your illustration commissions and yeah, and, and work on those stretch goals. Yeah, hopefully we get the stretch goals, which will you know add a few extra illustrations per book and get Zach you know more art in there for the for all the readers because everyone seems to be liking the art for obvious reasons. So I want to have you know the more you know the more as much as I can. I don't want to put you know seven. I think decided was the maximum just because. Only 200 page books, I don't want to overcrowd it with art, and also it just takes time. So, and the sooner we hit those stretch goals, the sooner I could tell him, okay, we're good to go for more art, and so we could you know schedule that in to make sure it all gets done, you know, faster. I think I so hope I'm really hoping I've got a really good, you know, I think first two days of the campaign, but as you know, Kickstarters you know usually do, they slow down for a bit. So, I think I think my last campaign funded on I think day 12, so I think we're up to like day four now. Maybe day five, so um, there's still plenty of time to get. We're up to 46 percent funded now, I think. So there's still plenty of time to get to the main goal, you know, within the first two weeks, and that will still leave another couple of weeks after that to push toward as many stretch goals as possible, and you know, just to just grow this as much as I can, you know, to keep keep the momentum going in a forward motion. <laughs> I've got, uh, speaking of time, I'm almost out of it. Uh, Daddy Warpig, your last chance for questions, comments for Yakov. Got him. <laughs> I don't think he's asleep this time, though. We would have heard him heard him snoring. Um, uh, Yakov, last yes. words. Give us the hard sell. Light unto another world Kickstarter. Anything else you want to talk about or spin before we go? I mean, just anybody who enjoys this sort of fiction, whether whether it's isekai specifically or just portal fantasy, like you, you will enjoy this series. You know, just you know between the story itself, between the characters, like it's you know there's a, a religious, openly religious main character which we don't see very often, whether in Japanese or you know Western stuff. And so it really offers a lot that I think a lot of people who complain about, you know, the generic isekai anime or light novels that get, you know, most of the attention is not an issue in this because I, that's part of why I wrote this in, in, in a way was to, you know, try and do it my way and do it a little bit more interesting than a lot of the stuff that I ended up watching that was, you know, enjoyable in many respects, but was lacking in others that I was like, I could try and do something a little more interesting with the main character or with, or giving the side characters, you know, stuff to do a lot of these shows after a while or although or from the beginning if the main character is overpowered the side characters are kind of you know just set dressing so i wanted all my side characters to really contribute and they can make the team you know a team that needs every member in order to function in order to win you know their toughest battles so that's why i made the main character not overpowered his magic is like very limited to you know it requires you to be creative to be you know effective with it like you saw one of the art, some of the arts there he has, you know, has a little heat ray 
on his arm uh, that he can, you know, just attach, you know, summon a light behind it to just, you know, burn stuff with or utilize things like mirrors to um, use, use as weapons to, you know, project light into things or, you know, bend light to turn invisible. But none of it is like, you know, direct attack kind of thing, or at least not in the traditional sense. So it really allows for the side characters to get a lot more to do to become much more impactful and important. And, and that's what I like out of stories is have everybody who's in the story matter to the story. And it's more just more fun. It's always like in every with every story, there's always readers who have, you know, a certain favorite character and it gets annoying if your favorite character has something to do for, you know, whole volumes at a time or the entire series in some cases. So I want to make sure that anybody who reads the series, you know, that everyone will have their one favorite character, whether it's my main character or one of the side characters. And, uh, you know, they should all be able to, you know, have moments where the one they want to see the most do something special and awesome, get to have that basically. I love it. I, I hope everybody uh, takes a look at this and gets something special and awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for the coming on and telling us all about it. I love seeing your updates, Yakov. I love hearing about what you're up to, um, and I can't wait to see this stuff continue to grow. Yeah, well, um, thanks for having me again. It's been it's fun as always to be on. Absolutely. Um, and I really appreciate everybody hanging out in the chat. Uh, you've got some fans here. I, ho I hope they're taking a closer look at that Kickstarter. They loved uh, the animation. Really good choice there to do that. And uh, I think I, I think they want to see the anime. Uh, they want to see the, well, the, the Merkin and an anime universe. Well, spread spread it with the word to everybody you know. Tell them, you know, anybody who might enjoy this, tell them about it so they know it exists so that we could raise enough, enough Kickstarter funds for me to look into something like that. Because I'd love to do it if you know if the money is there, and uh, so Heck it's up yeah. to the backers to make that happen. Because I could do whatever I could do, but I'm only one person still. At the end of the day, so dun, dun, dun. yeah, we 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 are already one backer already. Thank you so much, Video Meridar. Really, really appreciate that support. Um, yeah, thank you. That's it, and I hope everybody listening live later uh, enjoyed the chat and checked out those books. If the Kickstarter is still going. Um, Get yourself a copy. Uh, otherwise, Yakov Market and stuff is a lot of fun to read. Um, I'm done for today. Daddy Warpig, are you ready to sign off? I don't. I don't. I don't know that he is. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, this is this is unprecedented. Uh, he hasn't said anything in chat, and uh, he's not. Uh, He's not there, so I guess we'll stop the show because we ran out of stuff to talk about. Uh, well, on behalf yeah. of the in, I can't close. I can't close the show like he can, well, but we'll give it a try. Yeah. Oh, we just got a new backer, so that's a nice way to end the show, I guess. Nice way to end the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that comment back up. Already backed. We're, that's we're right. almost almost at two thousand now. Nine dollars away from hitting two thousand. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and try to be Daddy Warpig for a minute. Uh, it was great to have everybody. Uh, this has been Geek Gab uh, for Saturday, July 23rd, 2022. Uh, we had a great time. Thanks to everybody who joined us live in chat. You can catch us live on youtube.com slash geekgab. We are here just about every Saturday. 
11 a.m. Pacific. That's uh, doing math, 14 p.m. Eastern. I can and do the math, guys. Nine, 9 p.m. Israel time. 9 p.m. Israel time. That's awesome. Uh, we, for our globe spanning, uh, we have got uh, wonderful guests. We're always talking about good stuff. Um, and thanks so much to our unusually beautiful and intelligent listeners uh, for tuning in. This is me, Dornal, signing off for Daddy Warpig and Yakov Merkin. Uh, we're signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.